People's School for Marxist-Leninist Studies reading Guerrilla Warfare by Ernesto Che Guevara Chapter 1, Part 3 Guerrilla Tactics In military language, tactics are the practical method of achieving the grand strategic objectives. In one sense, they complement strategy, and in another, they are more specific rules within it. As means, tactics are much more variable, much more flexible than the final objectives, and they should be adjusted continually during the struggle. They are tactical objectives that remain constant throughout war and others that vary. The first thing to be considered is the adjusting of guerrilla action to the action of the enemy. The fundamental characteristics of a guerrilla band is mobility. This permits it in a few minutes to move from a specific theater and in a few hours as far even from the region as that becomes necessary. Permits it constantly to change front and avoid any type of encirclement. As the circumstances of the war require, the guerrilla band dedicates itself exclusively to fleeing from an encirclement, which is the enemy's only way of forcing the band into a decisive fight that could be unfavorable. It could also change the battle into counter-encirclement. Small bands of men are presumably surrounded by an enemy when suddenly the enemy is surrounded by stronger contingents or men located in safe places serve as a lure, leading to the encirclement and annihilation of the enemy troops and supply of an attacking force. Characteristics of this war mobility is the so-called minute. Named from the analogy with distance, the guerrilla band encircles an enemy position and advances column. For example, they encircle it completely from the four points of the compass with five or six men in each place, far enough away to avoid being encircled themselves. The fight is started at any one of the points and the army moves towards it. As the guerrilla band then retreats, always maintaining visual contact, and initiates its attack from another point. The army will repeat this action and the guerrilla band the same. Thus, successively it is possible to keep the enemy column immobilized, forcing it to expand large quantities of ammunition and weakening the morale of its troops without incurring great dangers. Same tactics can be applied at nighttime closing in more and showing greater aggressiveness because of these conditions. Counter-encirclement is much more difficult. Movement by night is another important characteristic of the guerrilla band, enabling it to advance into position for an attack and where the danger of betrayal exists to mobilize in new territory. The numerical inferiority of the guerrillas make it necessary that the attacks always be carried out by surprise. This great advantage is what permits the guerrilla fighter to inflict losses on the enemy without suffering losses. In a fight between a hundred men on one side and 10,000 the other, losses are not equal where there is one casualty on each side. The enemy loss is always repairable. It amounts to only 1% of his effectiveness. The loss of the guerrilla band requires more time to be repaired because it involves a soldier of high specialization and is 10% of the operating force. 
A dead soldier of the guerrillas ought never to be left with his arms and his ammunition. The duty of every guerrilla soldier, whenever a companion falls, is to recover immediately those extremely precious elements of the fight. In fact, the care which must be taken of ammunition and the method of using it are further characteristics of guerrilla warfare. In any combat between arms and the guerrilla band, it is always possible to know one from the other by their different manners of fire. A great amount of firing on the part of the regular army, sporadic and accurate shots on the part of the guerrillas. Once one of our heroes, now dead, had to empty his machine guns for nearly five minutes, burst after burst, in order to slow up the advance of the enemy soldiers. This fact caused considerable confusion in our forces because they assumed from the rhythm of the fire that key positions must have been taken by the enemy since this was one of the rare occasions where departure from the rule of saving fire had been called for because of the importance of the point being defended. Another fundamental characteristic of the guerrilla soldier is his flexibility and his ability to adapt himself to all circumstances and to convert to his service all of the accidents of the action. Against the rigidity of classical methods of fighting, the guerrilla fighter invents his own tactics at every minute of the fight and constantly surprises the enemy. In the first place, there are only elastic positions, specific places that the enemy cannot pass, and places of diverting him. Frequently, the enemy, after easily overcoming difficulties in a gradual advance, is surprised to find himself suddenly and solidly detained without any possibility of moving forward. This is due to the fact that the guerrilla defended positions when they have been selected on the basis of careful study of the ground are invulnerable. It is not the number of attacking soldiers that counts, but the number of defending soldiers. Once that number has been placed there, it can nearly always hold off a battalion with success. It is a major task of the chiefs to choose well that moment and the place for defending a position without retreat. The form of attack of a guerrilla army is also different, starting with surprise and fury, irresistible and suddenly convert itself into total passivity. Any surviving enemy, resting, believes that the attacker has departed. He begins to relax and to return to the routine of life of the camp or of the fortress when suddenly a new attack bursts forth in another place with the same characteristics while the main body of the guerrilla band lies in wait to intercept reinforcements. At other times, an outpost defending the camp will be studied, attacked by the guerrilla, dominated and captured. The fundamental thing is surprise and rapidity of attack. Acts of sabotage are very important. It is necessary to distinguish clearly between sabotage, a revolutionary and a highly effective method of warfare, and terrorism, a measure that is generally ineffective and indiscriminate in its results since it often makes victims of innocent people and destroys large numbers of lives that would be valuable to the revolution.
Terrorism should be considered a valuable tactic when it is used to put to death some noted leaders of the oppressing forces, well known for his cruelty, his effectiveness in repression, or other qualities that make his elimination useful. But the killing of persons of small importance is never advisable since it brings on an increase of reprisals, including death. I repeat, reprisals including death. There is one point very much in controversy in the opinions about terrorism. Many consider that its use by provoking police oppression hinders all more or less legal or semi-clandestine contacts with the masses and makes impossible unification for that action that will be necessary at critical moments. This is correct, but also happens that, in a civil war, the repression by the governmental powers in certain towns is already so great, in fact, that every type of legal action is suppressed already, and any action of the masses that is not supported by arms is impossible. It is therefore necessary to be circumspect on adopting methods of this type and to consider the consequences that they may bring for the revolution. At any rate, well-managed sabotage is always a very effective arm, though it should not be employed to put the means of production out of action, leaving a sector of the population paralyzed, and thus without work, unless this paralysis affects the normal life of society. But it is also ridiculous to carry out sabotage against a soft drink factory. But it is absolutely correct and advisable to carry out sabotage against a power plant. In the first case, a certain number of workers are put out of a job, but nothing is done to modify the rhythm of the industrial life. In the second case, there will again be displaced workers, but this is entirely justified by the paralysis of the life of this region. We will return to the techniques of sabotage later. One of the favorite arms of the enemy army, supposed to be decisive in modern times, is aviation. Nevertheless, this has no use whatsoever during the period that guerrilla warfare is in its first stages, with small concentrations of men in rugged places. The utility of aviation lies in the systematic destruction of visible and organized defenses, and for this, there must be large concentrations of men whom construct these defenses, something that does not exist in this type of warfare. Planes are also potent against marches by columns throughout level places or places without cover. However, this latter danger is easily avoided by carrying out marches at night. Narration notes, it is understood that night vision and infrared have also changed the current state of warfare. Now back to the reading. One of the weakest points of the enemy is transportation by road and railroad. It is virtually impossible to maintain a visual yard by yard over transportation lines, a road or railroad. At any point, considerable amount of explosive charges can be planted that will make the road impassable, or by exploding it at the moment that a vehicle passes. A considerable loss in lives and material to the enemy is caused at the same time that the road is cut. 
The sources of the explosives varied. They can be brought from other zones or can be made of bombs seized from the dictatorship, though these do not always work. Or they can be manufactured in secret laboratories within the guerrilla zone. The technique of setting them off is quite varied. Their manufacture also depends upon the conditions of the guerrilla band. In our laboratory, we made powder, which we used as a cap. We invented various devices for exploding the mines at the desired moment. The one that gave the best results were electric. The first mine that we exploded was a bomb dropped from an aircraft of the dictatorship. We adapted it by inserting various caps and adding a gun with a trigger pulled by a cord. At the moment that the enemy truck passed, the weapon was fired to set off the explosion. These techniques can be developed into a high degree. We have information that in Algeria, for example, tele-explosive mines, that is, mines exploded by radio at great distances from the point where they are located, are being used today against the French colonial powers. The technique of lying in ambush alongside roads in order to explode mines and annihilate survivors is one of the most remunerative of ammunition and arms. The surprised enemy does not use his ammunition and has no time to flee. So with a small expenditure of ammunition, large results are achieved. As blows are dealt the enemy, he also changes his tactics and in place of isolated trucks, variable motorized columns move. However, by choosing the ground well, the same result can be produced by breaking the column and concentrating forces on one vehicle. In these cases, it is essential element of guerrilla tactics must always be kept in mind. These are perfect knowledge of the ground, surveillance and foresight as to the lines of escape, sight vigilance over all the secondary roads that can bring support to the point of attack, intimacy with the people in the zone so as to have help from them in respect to supplies, transport, medical, and temporary or permanent hiding places if it becomes necessary to leave the wounded companions behind. Numerical superiority at the chosen point of action, total mobility, and the possibility of countering on the reverse. If all these tactical requisites are fulfilled, surprise attack along the lines of communication of the enemy yields notable dividends. A fundamental part of guerrilla tactics is the treatment according to the people of the zone. Even the treatment accorded to the enemy is important. The norm to be followed should be an absolute inflexibility at the time of the attack, an absolute inflexibility towards all despicable elements that resort to informing and assassination and clemency as absolute possible towards the enemy soldier who go into the fight performing or believing that they are performing a military duty. It is a good policy so long as there are no considerable bases of operation and invulnerable places to take no prisoners. Survivors ought to be set free. The wounded should be cared for with all possible resources at the time of action. 
conduct towards the civil population ought to be regulated by a large respect for the rules and traditions of the people in the zone. In order to demonstrate effectively with deeds the morale superiority of the guerrilla fighter, fighter over the oppressing soldier, except in special situation there ought to be no execution of justice without giving the criminal an opportunity to clear themselves or have a good faith court.